Well, good morning, church family and guests and friends. We're glad that you guys are all here. Those of you watching online, glad you're with us. Well, it is December. The temperature is dropping here in Cleveland, Ohio, and Christmas songs are pretty much all I heard on the way in. So that can only mean one thing. It is definitely Christmas season, right? And uh, we talked about this last week. Christmas is a time to be grateful. And today we're going to focus on the understanding that Christmas is also a season to be generous. And it's hard for me to hear the word generosity without thinking about just our adoption journey. You know, we celebrated adoption as a church a couple weeks ago, but uh, going into this season of trying to grow our family as an infertile couple was definitely a time where we experienced God's generosity and the generosity of God's people. We had a need to to, to grow a family, desire to grow a family. Uh, The price tag on that was very steep, especially when you're doing international adoptions. And so we had this need that we really couldn't meet on our own. And so uh, God just sent people who had a means to be, able, to be able to provide for that need. And so through grants and through the generosity of many people, uh, God was able to help us bring those kids home. And then once they were home, it's just fascinating, uh, with our first two in home, when we decided to do the international adoption, it's like, here's this girl in this orphanage in China. We want to bring her home. She needed a family, not an orphanage, but she didn't have the ability to do that. And so just seeing how God's generosity was multiplied because then we had the means to provide her a home which she didn't have on her own. And, and, and then able to bring her home. And what I love about that is when you can apply generosity, because it's, it's one thing to be generous to the wants of people, but it's another thing when you can apply generosity to the needs of people, especially when it's a need that they cannot meet on their own. And so think of a time in your life. I'm sure there's been moments where you had a need in your life. You had no ability to meet it on your own. But then somehow, some way, someone was generous because they had the means to help you meet that need. And that's really a big part of the understanding of Christmas. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, when we step back and look at it at a bigger level, we had a need to be forgiven by the Lord, uh, restored back into relationship with the Lord, that we had no ability to meet on our own. We can't behave our way into heaven. We can't behave our way into relationship with God. Uh, There's no list of rules or rituals, any sort of religious uh, practices that are going to make us right with God. We have this need. And he, because he had the means, was able to meet the need that we could not meet on our own. And that's really a huge component to understanding Christmas and the generosity of God at Christmas because God generously gave of himself for our need. Therefore, we in turn will give generously of ourselves to the needs of others. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ and to walk in his footsteps and to love like he loved and to give like he gave. And so uh, when you think about that, there's a lot of verses in Scripture that really capture and summarize God's generosity. There's a lot of verses in Scripture that capture and summarize God's plans, His salvation, His love for people. But there is one verse that rises above them all, right? It's like, like Lord of the Rings. There's one verse, rule them all, you know? And there's this one verse that really summarizes that well. And it's the most commonly known, well-known Bible verse for believers and unbelievers. Even people who don't know what the Bible verse says, they know the address because we've seen it on athletes' faces. We've seen it on poster boards. Uh, if you go to Forever 21, it's on the bags. If you've ever had the privilege of eating an In-N-Out burger, it's on the cups, on the bottom. And so this is the most Googled, well-known verse. It is none other than the legendary what? John 3.16. And John 3.16 is such a great summary 
of God's plan. It's not traditionally a Christmas verse, but it should be in our hearts because it captures why Christ came and the heart of God when Christ came. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16, and some of you are thinking, I don't need to do that. I've got it memorized. I'm happy you do. You should. We all should. But there's something about looking at it with your eyes. This is probably some of you here that have heard this verse address that actually don't know what the verse says. And there's some of you probably online, same way. You've heard the verse, but you don't know what it says. And so for both those who maybe have never actually seen what that verse says, and for those of us who are believers who know what it says, but it's always good to see it again, those red letters popping off the page um, from Christ, it's very important because we don't want John 3.16 to become white noise, background noise in our faith. We don't want familiarity with a verse or with portions of God's word to dull or to rob our appreciation of what those verses say. And so John 3.16 should never become old, like, oh yeah, John 3.16. It's rich, it's beautiful, it's significant, it's catalytic in our life. And so John 3.16, and I'm in the English Standard Version here, so let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, you're so awesome. And you are so good to us, and we are grateful. And you are so generous to us, and we are just stunned by your generosity. And Father, during a season where we celebrate the birth of Christ, may we never uh, divorce generosity from the equation. Lord, let us make sure that we understand that the coming of Christ was the most significant and generous act in all of humanity. So Father, for those of us who know you and know you well, would you again continue to remind us of the significance and the love that we have for these words that you've given us? Father, we pray for anyone here that does not know you personally, that is not in relationship with Christ, that you will bring great understanding to them as I read this powerful yet brief verse. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all sit together. Amen. Amen. Well, when we look at John 3.16, I just want to focus on three power verbs, if you will. There's three verbs that really showcase God's generosity in this verse. And I'm not going to keep you in suspense through those, ver- those words. Here's what the words are. It's loved, it's gave, and it's believes. And let's just unpack those each for a second and look at them and how they each uniquely showcase and build on one another when it comes to God's generosity. First, love. We see here that God so loved. And it's not just love, but he so loved. And we need to make sure we, do, we, we have a deeper understanding of that word so. Because in our common language vernacular, when we say the word so, typically it's an adverbial sense, like it's so cold outside, or I love you so much, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what this means here in the original language. In the original language, it means in this way. God, in this way, loved the world. It's in this way that he did. This is what God is going to demonstrate his love to be. And so it's very important that we don't just minimize that to an adverbial sense. It's really so much more than that in this way. And so we look at God's love and God's love was the motivation for God's generosity. God uh, gave because God loved. And so we have God's generosity. We have God's salvation. We've got God's gift of Christ that comes out of a heart of love. And even that word love is a loaded term because what we typically do internally, what we do in here and here, is we tend to dumb down the understanding of the word love by only equating it to that which we can experience in the human sense. 
And trying to compare God's love to what a person's love is capable of is like trying to compare a grain of sand to a planet. Like it's just so otherworldly. And so when we think about human love and what we typically can experience about human love, there are definitely some nuances and some lessons to learn, especially parent to child when it comes to understanding God's love. But it's so much more beyond that. It surpasses that. It's much more superior to that. And so God's love is not a mere emotional feeling or sentimental notion. It's more of this intentional, self-willed, sacrificial motivation, do something for the benefit of others kind of love. And we're so grateful that his love is bigger than a friend's love, a spouse's love, a parent's love, a child's love. And it's not a love that says, I'll love you if you love me. And it's not a love that says, I'll love you if you act the way I like you to. Or I'll love you if you do what I want you to. It's not that kind of love. And God's love is based on God's faithfulness, not our faithfulness. God's love is based on God's character, not our character. God's love is based on God's capacity to love, not our capacity to give love, nor our capacity to receive love. God's love is so much more than that. And at the same time, we don't want to fall into that pit that so many have that have distorted God's love and warped God's love to be something it's not. Because God does have two sides to his love. He does have that that blessing and, and adoration and closeness and intimacy, the, the part of his love that wants to lavish himself upon us with, with blessing and gift and intimacy, like I just said. Then there's the other side, which is the wrathful side of God's love, a God of justice. And so God is both loving and just. And so some people believe, well, God's all wrath, no love. That's not correct. Some people believe, well, God's all love, no wrath. That tends to be the more dominant view. That's not correct either. He's both loving and just. And so just like, and this is where we can learn lessons that point us and teach us things about God's love, just like a parent and a child. There are times when a child is with a parent and, and the parent's just lavishing their love upon them and they're cuddling on them and they're, they're buying them things and just doing things with them. If you were to interview that child in that moment and say, do you feel loved? Do you feel loved? They'll say, yeah, I feel loved. And then when that child's in a timeout, or something's been taken away, or they're being disciplined, do you feel loved? No. And they don't feel loved in that moment. And, and yet we do the same thing with God. We, we love when God gives us good, but then when, when he's shaping our character through discipline, he's allowing consequences into our life because we made a bonehead decision. And God's using that to bring you know, discipline to our lives. Do we feel loved in that moment? Maybe not, but God's love is still there. God's love, will, will, he'll be affectionate and loving with you and bless you, but he'll also correct you and confront you and bring circumstances into your life. And that's all part of God's love. But what I find part of, of God's love that's most stunning, this is one of the most stunning parts about God's love, is that his love that we're talking about is aimed at his enemies. That's the crazy part of God's love. It's easy to love someone who loves you back. It's easy to love someone you're fond of. But to love someone that you're at odds with, that doesn't want you, that's crazy. I, I don't think any of you woke up this morning going, who really has beef with me? I just want to pour out my love to them. Or who, who do I not like that I just really want to love on today? You know, I don't think we did that. That's not natural to us. It's not in our nature, but it's in God's nature to love his enemies. A great verse to understand that's Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Don't you love that? Jesus didn't say, you get cleaned up, then we'll talk. He didn't say, you get that all figured out, and, and then we'll be good to have a conversation. He said, no, you're a hot mess. Come here, all right? That, that's the invitation of Jesus, slightly paraphrased, okay? And so, come here, you're a mess. He said, while we're sinners, while we're misbehaving, God is loving us and sending Christ for us. In the verse 10, it says, now we'll go on to verse 9. Sorry, that's verse 8. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. Verse 10. For if while we were, what's the word? Enemies. Enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. That should just be like mind-blown moment. While we're enemies, while we're shaking our fist at God going, you won't control me. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what kind of husband to be, what kind of wife to be, what kind of kid to be, what kind of boss to be, what kind of employee to be, what kind of person to be. You've got no control over my life. But we're so actively running, we're so joyfully rebelling against God. He still loves us. He still loves us. That's just mind-blowing. For God so loved he loves us with this kind of love. And we have this posture in our human heart to wickedly rebel against him. And what did he do? He sent his son. He didn't send a rule list, right? He didn't send a list of things to do. He sent someone on a rescue mission to protect us from the condemnation that's rightfully aimed at us. And so this is a generous and extravagant love of God, and it's for the world. It's for the world. God so loved the world. We're all targets of his love. We're all in range of his love. Children, adults, tall, short, black, white, Democrat, Republic, straight, gay, married, single, divorced, rich, poor, faithful, unfaithful, joyful, depressed. God loves the world. God's love is global, all. God's love is personal, you. One of the best exercises that I remember taking on as a young kid, and some of you have done this, I think it's very helpful to realize how John 3.16 applies to your life is to actually put you in the verse. It's just a great exercise to realize the depth of God's love. So look at the slide for a second and just insert your name in the blank, right? For God so loved you, Chad, Dale, Jackie, whatever. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. That if, put your name there, you believe in him, you should not perish but have eternal life. That's specific because you are part of the world. You are included in the world. And so we know that this is the love of God that's for us and you're included in that. Christ came for you. I really like how late pastor and author A.W. Tozer put that. He said, Jesus Christ came not to condemn you, but to save you. Knowing your name, knowing all about you, knowing your weight right now. Some of you are like, oh crud, that's not good. It's holidays. Knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, knowing what you ate for supper, what you'll eat for breakfast, what you will, um, where you will sleep tonight, how much your clothing costs, who your parents were. He knows you individually as though there were not another person in the entire world. He died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you most. That's our God. That's the generosity of his love. And at Christmas time, we reflect on that generosity. We reflect on God loves me. God loves you. God loves the world. And if God generously loves us, when we come to a saving knowledge of that, place our faith in Christ, 
Even though that we were enemies, we start to give of ourself and love others the way he gave of himself and loves us. We learn to love as he loves, do as he does. And so which enemy are you needing to learn to love right now in your life? What need do they have in their life that you could meet in the same way that Christ met your need that you could not take care of and you were undeserving of? How can you pass on the love and generosity of Christ to someone who doesn't deserve it, who's hard to love? How can you engage the unique opportunities that come at Christmas to do so? Because that's what God did for us. For God so loved, in that way, loved the world. That he gave. This is that second power verb that he gave. God loved because that's the motivation of his generosity. God gave. This is the demonstration of God's generosity. It's an interesting observation that you typically around Christmas, we often hear people sharing what they want for Christmas, not necessarily what they want to give for Christmas. And so the real spirit of Christmas isn't about getting, it's about giving. God loving led to God giving. And here's the interesting thing about the gift of Christ. No one requested the gift. I think about that for a second. When you think about birthdays and holidays, we used to like, hey, here's what I would like. Here's what I would like. No one was requesting the Savior. Yet God gave the Savior because we needed him. It's such a fascinating understanding because for thousands of years, mankind had been held captive in sin, rightfully under the wrath of God who must judge all sin. Yet God continued to promise through his prophets that one would come who would take upon himself the wrath of God for our sin, one who would give his righteousness in exchange for our wickedness. And Jesus was the extravagant gift that God gave. Why again? Look at John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's just otherworldly. This is the generosity of God. God gave to save. God gave to save. And it had to be Jesus. There's no other way. This has to be a divine work. You know, there's something about Jesus that a lot of you have studied in the incarnation, God becoming flesh. It's a fancy theological term called the hypostatic union. It means the fusing together of both God and man. And when you look at Jesus, because of the virgin birth, because of how God did things outside the laws, the natural laws, we have Jesus who was both 100% God, divine, And yet simultaneously, 100% man in the flesh. No one else has done that. God's never done that with anyone else, for anyone else. He's unique. That's why he's the only option we have to be made right with God. This is the gift that God has given, a unique gift. And that sweet baby of Christmas morning that we look to and worship became our sin bearer on the cross. We can't forget to remember that Jesus was born to die. Okay, and so I know for us, one of the things that we do is a good reminder for that is we have this nativity that we set up. I've mentioned this before. And then we have a crown of thorns that we got from Israel, really cool. And and we put it over the nativity as a reminder that this little nativity isn't the whole story. It's the beginning or a moment in the story. There's more to come. The rest of the gift that's going to be unwrapped for humanity through the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and through his resurrection. And so God gave Jesus to us, and Christ didn't come to take. 
Jesus didn't come to take. Jesus came to give. So to give forgiveness, new life, restoration with God, eternal life. This is what God has given us. And so Christmas is a great time to celebrate the reality of John 3.16. It's where we echo 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And in the same way with his love. When we look at how God loves us, it should spur us and stir in us a way to try to love the way he does. When we look at the generosity of God and how he gave and how he sacrificed, it should stir in us the desire to say, how can we give to others like God gave to us? I am a recipient of generosity, therefore I need to be one who gives generosity. And the thing about generosity is this, generosity is to be a lifestyle, not a seasonal event. <laughs> well, it's Christmas time. I guess we'll try to be generous for you know a few days, a month, a couple weeks. Generosity is to be a lifestyle. And when we think about the contamination of the flesh, and we think about the direction, and I'll be first in line here. We're selfish people. We're self-centered people. We're distracted people. We're greedy people. Uh, giving is not our natural disposition. But once you come to Christ, he starts to transform you to where it becomes part of your natural disposition, to be generous like he's generous, and not just with material gifts, but with immaterial gifts, with things that you can't touch and feel, but are really truly meeting other people's needs. And so as you're approaching Christmas, let me just ask you a few questions. Are you finding yourself more consumed with getting as we approach the birth of Christ and his celebration, or are you more consumed with giving than getting? And when you think of generosity, is it becoming more of a way of life for you, or is it still more of a seasonal event in your life? And is your generosity targeting only people's wants and trying to fulfill what they want? Or are you starting to find out ways you can meet their needs with your generosity? And does your generosity only manifest itself with the physical and material gifts? Or are you learning of ways to be generous with immaterial gifts? So God generously gave of himself for our need, and therefore we generously give of ourselves for the needs of others. And so God showcases his uh, generosity through the way he loved us, the world. He showcases generosity through how he gave us Christ. And then another way that we see God's generosity showcased is through the one who believes. Through the one who believes. We look at this verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now let's just make certain we understand whoever is. Whoever is anyone who turns to Christ and believes. Anyone. And so many of us have learned by now, no one is so good, they don't need Christ. And no one is so bad that they can't have Christ. And that's really the extremes that we see. We have some people that through the religion and through the philosophies think they're over here going, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I've got this. Compared to other people, I'm doing pretty good. I look over there and go, ooh, I'm not doing what they're doing, and I'm not doing what they're doing, and there's no implication over here. I'm just pointing in general, just so you know. <laughs> making sure that's... I'm not doing what they're doing. In fact, when I look at my life compared to them, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm generous, and I'm, I'm a fairly good person, so I think I'm good because I'm good. And then you have this other stream over here, and you've got people going, um, man, what have I done? If people only knew, I've messed up so bad. And you start to realize, uh, and you start to go, like, God would never take me. 
And, and this person has it wrong, and this person has it wrong. Because we need to be humbled, realizing nobody's good, because God measures to his standard. We're compared to God, not to other people. So we all fall short, the Bible tells us, right? We all fall short. And then when you're over here, no one's too far, no one's too messy, no one's done too much that God can't bring them back and redeem them. And so we have to come to that place of really, this is, this is the one who, who believes, whoever believes. So whoever applies to all the people who can turn. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 helps us understand that. It's for by grace, that's a gift, an undeserved gift that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We have to continue to move away from this works mindset. Do we understand how insulting it is to God when he's given us his son who died on the cross and rose from the grave? He said, this is my provision for you. Do we understand how insulting it is to say, that's not enough. I need to now earn it somehow through my works. It's just an insult to the provision of what God's given. So we need to come to this place of belief. Whoever believes also, this belief, what is belief? It's not a vague, oh, I believe in God. That's not what he's talking about. It's he who believes in him, in God's provision. And this belief is a transfer of trust. It's personal trust in who Jesus is as the God-man, as God incarnate, as the one who has the hypostatic union of both divine and flesh together, fused, the only one that can sacrifice himself for our sins. The only one who could have our sins put upon him because of his divine nature. And so it's those who believe in him. Have we come to that place where we believe and we've transferred our trust from whatever we're trusting in? When people think about God, some are like, well, if there's a God, or some are like, no, there is a God, and here's what it takes to get to him. It's good works, it's religion, it's all these things. We gotta transfer our trust from whatever we're trusting in to who Jesus is and what he did. It's not our works, it's his work. It's not who we are, it's who he is. This is the belief that God's calling us to that we see in John 3.16. And even the ability to believe, like his generosity keeps unfolding through one verse. His, he's generous with his love. He's generous that he, he's, he's given his love to the world. He's generous that that love has given us a gift in Christ to whoever, generous in the invitation to all people and to whoever who believes. Even the ability to believe is God's generosity. There is no like belief gene floating around in our body that all of a sudden comes to maturation and we go like, I think I'm going to become a believer. Even the ability to believe in Christ is granted to us from God. We can't believe outside of God giving us the ability to believe. That's a work of his grace. And so it's all about God. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he's done. It's all about his generosity. No one's able to repent and believe unless God grants it. And what about those who do believe? It says here, Jesus' words, they're in red when you look in your Bible, that they will not perish. They will not perish. You know, it's so interesting. You can't rewrite John 3.16 to say that God so loves the world that he overlooks our sin. That, that, that would be a distortion. God so loves the world that he doesn't judge anyone. God so loves the world that everybody gets a pass. That, that's, that's not what the scripture teaches here. The one who believes will not 
perish. Let's be clear. Jesus is referring to a literal and eternal place and state called hell. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, people have done this. They've, they've studied the gospels and said, what were the top three topics that Jesus talked about? Topic number one, God. Surprise, no shock there, right? God the Father, Holy Spirit, Himself, the Trinitarian aspect and expression of God. God's the number one topic that Jesus talks about. Number two, any guesses? Heaven. Heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Number two is heaven. Number three, hell. Hell makes the top three of what Jesus talks about. Someone said money. Yes, he talked more about money than a bunch of other things. But when you study all the verses and mass them together, God, heaven, hell. There's a real God, there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. And those who place their faith in Christ, simply stated, do not go to hell, they go to heaven. They will not perish. And when you look at the words, not my words, but the words of Jesus, hear how he explains the place of hell. He speaks of hell as a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment, outer darkness, unquenchable fire, where the worm doesn't die. Isn't that lovely? All right? There's no confusion here. Jesus isn't being subtle. He's not being cryptic. He's calling it out the way it is. And so for the person who stiffs arm God's offer, they're making a very intentional decision to reject God's gift. A lot of your parents, some of your kids, imagine this playing out Christmas morning. You wake up, parents have, you know what, planned on purchasing certain gifts, made sacrifices to, to make those gifts happen in a lot of cases, personally wrapped them up with love, can't wait to give them to their kids to see the smiles on their face and they open them up and get to experience whatever you know, they, they, they brought. Imagine those kids just like woke up, bounced down the hall, there's mom and dad, they got these gifts and the kid just stops in their tracks and goes, nah, <laughs> goes back to bed. Can you imagine that? And all you're going, nope, can't see my kids doing that. That's what we do to God. He planned it. Cost him dearly to give. It's wrapped up the gospel. He holds it out and says, here's my gift to you. And we walk up and we go, nah, I don't need it. I got it covered. Or I like the sound of this better. But God has made it very clear. And it is absolute spiritual suicide to reject God's only provision of forgiveness for the healing of the soul of man. There's only one. And it's suicide of the soul to reject Christ. And so you look at John 3.16, for him who believes does not perish, which means those who don't believe will. But then he unpacks the good news. And for those who believe, eternal life, heaven, God's presence, forever forgiveness, salvation of our souls. And even those terms, eternal life, it's eternal. It's eternal life. It's forever in heaven, forever in God's presence, permanent, secure, everlasting, undying, endless, immortal, infinite, won't go away. Eternal life is the greatest security we have on earth. It's the greatest possession that God's allowed us to wrap our hands on and go, no matter what, if you're in Christ, this is yours. It's eternal life, but it's also eternal life. It's abundant life, perfect life, fullness of joy, pleasures forever, God's presence in paradise forever. 
And we've talked about this before. I think the reason so many people find heaven unappealing is because they bought that caricature that heaven's going to be us floating on a cloud with a harp and a halo forever singing. And a lot of us are going, don't want to go there and do that. Some of you are like, that sounds great. Well, maybe that's what you'll get. That's great. That's awesome. That's heaven for you. But when you study the coming of the new Jerusalem, the city of God in Revelation 21, when you look at the remaking of the heavens and the earth, that God will restore all things back to its original glory. Like, like I, I just am mind blown. I have no words to think about what God has waiting for us in eternal life. We, we've got a, a newer screensaver at our house, and, and some of you have this too. Like these pictures just keep flipping up every so often of places around the world. I'm disappointed because they don't tell me where it is. I'll just walk in the room and be like, ah, where is that? I want to go. It's mountain, you know, green things, you know, places to hike. And then there's like water that's like see-through. I just want to stick a straw in it and start drinking. And like just amazingly beautiful places. My wife will be like walking in. I'll just be staring at the screen stand. What are you doing? I just want to go. Get the passport, honey. You know, it's like, where are these places? And then you think about, that's eternity. A remade heaven and earth. All earth and all its splendor and glory that God created with no flaw, no sin, no evil. It's going to be amazing. I want to ride rhinos. (laughs) (laughs) I want to fly. (laughs) Why? Why would we? Why would we reject that? Is, Is there really? Is there really a better offer on the table? Is there really a better offer for after this life? You look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Guys, that's a Christmas verse. That's God's generosity just oozing out of this season. And so, how can we respond to that? We've got to learn to love like God loves. We've got to be generous like God's generous. And we have to believe what God wants us to believe. But that generosity piece is huge. This is a season to be generous. Going back to our adoptions, we were so grateful for all the material generosity that we experienced, even for some of you in this room, um, of how uh, we were able to bring our kids home. But there was also immaterial generosity that people lavished upon us. It wasn't material, it was immaterial. And so we had people that gave us, uh, in our life, they were praying for us. They brought encouragement. They told stories. Those who'd done it before us, they brought love and support, availability. They gave us of their time. They gave hope when we were feeling a little bit defeated. There was kindness that was given to us when we were snarky because we were waiting, paper pregnant forever. There was attentiveness. There was friendship. And there's great immaterial gifts that were given, which, by the way, sidebar on the adoption thing, just after this service, some of you have been thinking about adoption because we've been talking about it more. Uh, there is an interest meeting after service on the other side of that wall uh, for those of you who are just curious about adoption. So feel free to join us. love to tell you more about that. But I want us to think a little bit more and press into this application of the immaterial generosity. So let's just take a couple minutes. I just want to do a brief exercise with you. Let's first think about this. What are some of the immaterial blessings that God has been generous with in our lives? What are some of the gifts that God has given us that are 
immaterial, okay? He gives us our daily bread, your homes, your cars, all that stuff. I get that. But what are some of the immaterial gifts that God's given you? I want to look for some hands because that will help me identify. Let's just build a little bit of a list here for a second. Yes. Joy, definitely. That's not something you can touch, whatever. It's an immaterial gift. Okay, we got joy. What else? Peace and faith. We got faith. We continue to proceed forward. We got peace that God will give us in our life. Absolutely. Say again. Friendship, absolutely. Friendship with God, also friendship with other people. Hope. Man, when things get dark, <laughs> when you don't know what's on the side of that mountain, God gives. He's generous with hope in our life. Okay. Mercy. Light. Strength. Endurance. All those things. There's this thing called um, salvation. Just kind of get that on the table there. Immaterial. Pretty generous, just want to say, okay? We can keep going and going and going. God knows how to give immaterial gifts to us. Think about all the, how about, how about one like endurance? I mean, God generously gives you the ability to endure stuff in life, right? Like we can go on and on. God lavishes his generous immaterial gifts in our life. Like that would be a great exercise just to put a piece of paper on the wall and just build a list of these immaterial gifts that God's given you and just celebrate those. God, thank you for these things. Now let's, let's reset and try something different. What are some of the immaterial gifts that we can give others? What are ways that we can be generous with immaterial gifts from our life? I heard joy. Okay, and I think laughter, like the joy, laughter, like the laughter's a gift, is it not? So helping other people laugh, that, that's immaterial, but it's a gift. Okay, I heard a couple. Compassion. Forgiveness. That's huge, right? There's a lot of people out there wishing that they would be forgiven. That's a, that's a gift. It's got to be authentic, but that's, it's generous to forgive. It's such a contradiction to be forgiven without being willing to forgive, okay? Empathy. Empathy. And when people are going through something and you can relate to that and you pour that out, this is a very spiritual side. You guys obviously did your quiet time this morning. <laughs> Acceptance. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, oh, oh, we've got some over here. Sure. Encouragement. Oh, you took yours, right? We got encouragement and stereo. Encouragement, okay? You guys get the point. We can keep building this. We can keep building this. This is a season where we've received these immaterial, generous gifts from God. Not just the material, but the immaterial. Let's learn, because I think this is something that we, we don't flex this muscle enough. When we say generosity, we sometimes only think money, only think resources. Yes, think that, but don't just think that. Think about the immaterial ways we can bless others. Some of you are going, that's good because I'm broke. These are, this is a good list. I'll, I'll be really generous with that whole thing. I'm going to throw a couple more on there. Time. Giving people time. That's a precious commodity, is it not? Being generous with our time. Wisdom. When God's given you lessons that you've learned in life, wisdom. So let's play this out a little bit. Here's a couple ways. How, how can you apply these in a good context? As a life house, with your neighbors, right? Giving time giving some um, forgiveness in your neighborhood, some compassion, laughter in your neighborhood, absolutely. Uh, leading a life group is the giving of your time and the wisdom that God's given you. Uh, we have a new opportunity that's going to be emerging here pretty soon. It's a great opportunity. This is just one of many ways you can do this. Uh, some of you are going to get married or you're young in marriage or you just need some encouragement in marriage. Uh, we're going to be launching a marriage mentorship ministry. Some of you as couples have the opportunity to be generous with your time and with the wisdom God's given you, which you've learned through marriage, by coming alongside some other couples and saying, we're not perfect, but we want to encourage you. 
And so there's some uh, information out in the foyer and there's an information meeting coming up in a, in a week that that's something you want to find out more about. There's just an interest meeting. These are the kinds of ways, these are the kind of opportunities that allow us to be generous in immaterial ways. So let's just bring it home a little bit closer. In your program is a card. Please pull it out. This card is for you, not for me, not for the church. This is for you. A lot of times we need to put it in writing. We talk about this sometimes. Life seems to be a series of unfulfilled good intentions, right? Yeah, I want to do that. And you walk out the door and like days later, like, what was I going to do? So here's an opportunity. My, my encouragement is before you leave this property, which means maybe in the worship service, maybe sitting around a minute or two after service is over, maybe in your car before you drive off, I encourage you to do your best. And if, if, if you don't have anything that feels authentic, then wait upon it. Maybe at some point today, fill this in. This week, I will generously give the immaterial gift of, you fill in the blank, to someone else. So giving the immaterial gift of time to my neighbor Jim would be an example of that. Some of you are, may go deeper. I'm going to give forgiveness to, and you list that name there. Or I'm going to give encouragement to, and God might be putting someone on your mind that has a need that they can't meet on their own, but you have the means through time, wisdom, encouragement to help bless them with generous uh, access to that. And so take that, write that, that's for you. Let that be a reminder for you today. And then the other uh, application would be for any of you watching online or here, you don't know Jesus as your savior. John 3.16 is a verse I encourage you to make sure you've heard clearly and have in your heart. Maybe today is the day where you go, I'm the whoever that needs to believe. And if that's the case, you can even turn John 3.16 in almost like a prayer guide. God, thank you for your love. <laughs> thank you that uh, even though I'm sinful and I'm your enemy, you've, you've poured out your love for me. You gave me Jesus. And I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. Right now, I believe. I don't want to perish. I, I desire eternal life. You, you can just have that starting point in your relationship with God. And if you do that, please let us know. So we can come alongside you and walk with you in your new relationship with Jesus. And so get your uh, response card out, mark that, saying, I gave my life to Christ today. Put those in a basket. If you're online, you can email us at connect at online, uh, cvconline.org. Say, I gave my life to Christ. And we'll just get in touch with you and say, here's how you grow in your new faith. But otherwise, God gave generously of himself for our need, Therefore, we give generously of ourselves to the needs of others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are so generous. There's no end to your generosity. It's not consumed or used up. God, you are so loving. There is no end to your love. It's not consumed or used up. Thank you that whoever believes can have eternal life. God, we pray for those men and women, boys and girls here today that might be making that choice, God. They are responding to the act of grace and generosity in their life to believe. And God, be with them as they have the courage to do so. Meet them in that place of need as they come to know you as Savior. And Father, for those of us here that call you Father and we're your children, God, help us to love like you love, be generous like you're generous, especially to the needs of others. Open our eyes. Make us aware. Give us creativity beyond our own thinking of knowing how we can be like you to our neighbors, to the people we work with, to our family members, our friends, to even strangers that we meet along the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.